0: Episode number nine. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom. This is Rabbi Elion Mitterhoff. This week we're going to have some Torah on Purim. The holiday of Purim which is coming up this week. The first thing we're going to discuss is a powerful parable about where to hide the king's crown. It's relative to Purim. The next thing is great stories about great rabbis. We're going to speak about Rabbi Yeruchim and his ability to see into the depths of the Torah. After that, we have some of Torah from Rev Hutner on Purim itself. And finally, we're going to have peace in your home. The second commandment of marriage according to Rabbi Vigna Miller. Do not disrupt the routine of marriage. We're gonna start out with the famous parable of the Nesiv on Purim, where to hide the king's crown. One time, there was a very, very valuable crown with all kinds of diamonds, silver, gold, who knows what, and they had to move it from one town to the next. But they were very concerned, how are they gonna move this crown? Because they know that there's thieves along the way, and the thieves are surely gonna steal it. So they came with this genius plan to hide the crown in the back of a simple wagon covered with tattered rags. This way no one would even think it was there. They put the crown in the back of the wagon and threw rags on top of it. So that was the Marshall, that was the parable, and here's the nimshaw, here's what it's really talking about. It's talking about Purim being similar to Yom Kippur. We know there's a drush that says that Yom Kippur is only like Purim, Kippurim, Kippurim. Yom Kippur is like Purim. What does that mean? It means that the light on Purim itself is even greater than the light that's revealed to us on Yom Kippur. Which comes out that Purim is even a holier day than Yom Kippur. He can reach even higher levels on Purim. It's such a high day. So since the forces of evil, the Satan wants us to not elevate ourselves on Purim. And to waste the day and to lose it. So they have to figure out a way to hide it from him. So the way that we hide it from him is we dress up, we drink... We do bizarre things. And the satan cannot figure out what's going on on Purim. But really, what's going on on Purim is the highest day of all the year. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. This is a story about Rabbi Yochum Leibowitz, the Mir Mashkiach. It says he was considered the Chaim Risker of the Musa world. One other of Chaim Brisk was one of the greatest geniuses that ever lived. He was from the last century. So it says that when he would learn a kassos, which was also one of the greatest geniuses from centuries before, he would learn it in such a way that even though everyone else studied that same kassos, people couldn't believe the depth of which he had, that they didn't even believe it was the same kassos. He saw so deeply into it that it was worlds beyond what everybody else could see. So too, it says that when Yeruchim would learn the path of the just, the seals his sharm, he would have unbelievable insight and clarity and depth that the people couldn't believe it. They called him the Rev Chaim of the Musa world. I just want to explain how is it possible in the same text that we can see deeper and deeper into the text? We know it's a fact. The fact is the same Chumash that a five year old learns, a 90 year old man learns. It's the same text. The same text that 15 year old learns in yeshivas learn Gemara. So people have been spending their entire lives, and even at 80, are learning the same text that the 15-year-old is learning. The Vilna Gon said, the Vilna Gon, you know who the Vilna Gon was? The Vilna Gon was saying brachas on his mother's milk at, 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 at age at one years old already. He knew everything inside out, and he said he would walk across Europe by foot if Rev Moshe Chaim Lazata was alive the author of the Messiah was a sharm, just to learn something from him, just to be able to learn from him to get even more depth. The Torah has endless depth. We see the bigger the person is, so the more depth he can bring out. And this is what they said about Rabbi Yerucham. The story goes a little bit further. It says that Rabbi Yerucham was considered the magician. In what sense? He was able to influence even people who were very, very far away from Torah and from learning and from holiness. He was able to influence them in a good way. They called him the magician. It says by him that he used to interview every boy that used to come to the mirror, used to have an interview with him. Within a couple of minutes, he knew the boy's strengths and his weaknesses. Even within a minute or two, he would say to the boy where the, which town he was from because he, he saw the influence that the town had on the boy. This is a person who had tremendous insight into the human personality. We are talking about a very developed human being who was able to see into the soul. Of another. The genius Revitska Kutner has an unbelievable word on Purim. He has a whole sefer on Purim, but I just read one of the words. So he wants to talk about Amalek. Amalek, we know, is the arch enemy of the Jewish people for Doros, for generations. And in the end, they will be totally destroyed because they are totally evil. So it says in Parsha Zachor, remember what Amalek did to you on the way. This is Parsha Zachor, what we read before Purim, the Shabbos before Purim. We read Parsha Zachor. It's actually a mitzvah deraiseh to read that, to hear that reading. So he says, remember what happened to you on the way, how Amalek tried to kill, it killed all your weaklings, attacked you from, from behind, the faint of the exhausted. He did not fear God. So there's a word in that passage that says he happened upon you, which is kore, which also can also mean to car, to cool off. So Chazal, the rabbis tell us that before this point, all the nations were very scared of us because we were pulled out of Egypt, we were given birth to. God chose us and took us out of Egypt and separated us from all the nations. At that point, the nations were all scared of us. So what did Amalek do? He attacked us anyway. He knew he was going to get hurt. He knew he was going to get killed. But still, he attacked us anyway. And they want to bring a muscle a parable to compare the situation like this. It's like a pool filled with boiling water into which no person dared to jump in because it's boiling. But one suddenly, what happened is one guy decides, I don't care. I'm going to jump in anyway. So he succeeded to cool down the pool for everybody else. And then after that, nobody else was scared to jump in. After Amalek attacked us, we became weakened. And, we, and the world saw that we were vulnerable. And it actually entered into our psyches also that we are also vulnerable. It says that Amalek means skepticism, suffic. We go into a state where we're not sure of ourselves, which is exactly what this whole word is gonna be about. We're not sure about real spirituality. There's a skepticism about the next world and about God's existence that entered into our hearts from Amalek, and that's his power. And that's what he's trying to push. And he will exist to the end of days. And in the end, he will be destroyed. So what does this have to do with Purim? Well, it happens to be that Haman was a descendant of Amalek. Amalek was the one trying to attack us. Haman was trying to kill us. And it was at this point in history, there was a skepticism among the Jewish people. We know that the Jewish people didn't listen to Mordecai, who commanded that they shouldn't go to the party of Ahoshverus. They went anyway. So we see that there was a weakness a lowering of standards among the Jewish people. And at this point, Amalek was able to attack us, to try to kill us. So Rev. Hutner explains, what's Amalek's main tool? You're not going to believe it. It's cynicism. Cynicism makes fun of everything. And when you make fun of things, that takes away the value. He says like this, Amalek, whose essence is cynicism, to whom nothing ultimately matters and for everything important is trivial, will be destroyed. In other words, he takes everything that's spiritual, anything that has some real meaning, and he destroys it by making a joke out of it. Or he just doesn't care about it. Example, in our society, we see it all over the place. Gay marriage. So who cares? A person steals. So what? A guy cheated. President cheated. (laughs) on his wife, doesn't matter, he'll come back again, this guy, this politician cheated on his wife. Also, he comes back again for politics. Nobody seems to care. Pornography, nobody seems to care about it. The whole society has become cynical. Cynical means that things lose their meaning. Nothing has significance. Nothing matters. Anyway, you're only here for 120 years, and then you die. Who knows what happens after that? Nothing really matters. There's no morality anymore. Morality is out the window. There's no standards. People can get do things and get away with things. People can say things publicly on television. Nobody even cares. Nobody's even embarrassed. They're actually proud. What a great thief he is. What a great cheater he is. There's no standards anymore. Nothing matters and everything goes. So Ruben Yon explains, how do you know what a person values? How can you check a person out to see what he values? So he says, a person is judged based on what and whom he praises. You can see by a person's praises, what he values. So this is not such a simple thing because a lot of people claim to have values that they don't really have. How do you really know what a person feels in terms of his values? He gives an example like this. You could, God forbid, have a great Torah scholar who gives tremendous honor when the rich person comes to visit his house. And he talks about rich people all day. So what's going to be with his kids? The kids are not going to run after Torah. They're going to run after the money. On the other hand, you can average average Jew who spends most of his day working, but still he talks all day about the greatness of the tamalech Chachamim and the sages and the righteous people. So his kids are going to come out to be righteous because that's his real value. It's not a question of, of what you say you value. It's a question of what you really do value. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? Do you just claim to value something? Or you put your money where your mouth is? We really talk about that at the table. The things that you really talk about, your children, for example, they know exactly what you value. They don't care what you claim to value. They know who you are. So in terms of doing an internal accounting, you really have to check out what you actually do in reality, not who you claim to be, but who are you for real. So now we need to discuss creating true value and seeing value and making it real to ourselves. And we have to remove the cynicism from our hearts. Cynicism is the top destroyer of value. If we make jokes about things, it really means we don't value those things. So when are we actually allowed to use cynicism? We aren't allowed to use, The Rav Huttner explains, when it comes to a Zarah. And the Gemara says that you're supposed to make jokes about a Zarah, idol worship. Idol worship, you're allowed to make jokes because that is the opposite of value. In other words, they're taking the highest value, which is God... And they're saying that he doesn't exist, and they're saying this stone or this power or who knows what. Anything that you put uh, power into, anything that you rely on, becomes a kind of an avodah a kind of an idol worship. So you, the rabbis are allowed to be cynical about that. In other words, to use cynicism against the ultimate lie, which is that God is not running the world, and there are other forces that are running the world. And we know there's a pasach in Mishle that says, do not attempt to admonish the cynic. You can't give rebuke to a cynic. The Messiah Hashem says one cynical remark can push aside a hundred serious rebukes. In other words, rebuke is going to be pushed off with cynicism. So we have to go inside of our own hearts and remove the cynicism in order to grow. How are we going to grow? How are we going to grow in spirituality if we're cynical? This is the force of Amalek. He wanted to cool us off. He wanted to take us away from our spirituality, from our insights, from the depth of thinking. He wanted to remove that from us, to become cynical, to become physical, and take away the meaning of something. I mean, if the world is only physical, there's no meaning to anything. Meaning comes from intellectual understanding and spirituality. That's where meaning comes. And he wants to be cynical and take that all away. We know that Amalek was a descendant of Esau, and Esau disclaimed his birthright. Yaakov had the birthright. It was a spiritual birthright, which was the next world. And Esav didn't care about it. He gave it to Yaakov for nothing, for Grushin, for a bowl of lentils. So this is the battle that we're fighting on Purim, the battle against cynicism and skepticism. We know that the Jews re-accepted the Torah completely from love on Purim. And this is the direction we should be taking. We should be strengthening in our spirituality. The question is how to do it. So, the Shemishmu explains that by pouring, we have this special lesson. It says, making them days of feasting. We don't see that in any other context. We have to make a feast on pouring. We have to make a party on pouring. He says, the, because of the tremendous spiritual potential of pouring, which is a, a light that can open up inside of our souls, we have to make sure it has a deep impression. We do that by by feasting and by eating and by drinking and by singing, that it should have a big impression on us, that we should grow in spirituality. We use the physical, that it should make an impression upon us. And Revelyar al and in Miktaf Melial wants to take it one step further. He wants to explain in detail like this. We know there's a famous Pasuk. It says like this. The Jews had light and joy and gladness and honor. So the Russian there is Ora, Simcha, Vesosam, Vikar. So we know that in Megillah on sixteen a that our rabbis explained that light means Torah, joy means festival, and gladness means circumcision. So Destler wants to explain what that means. The light of Torah means the intellectual pleasure that a person gets from learning. It's an unbelievable thing when a person actually learns Torah; he gets unbelievable pleasure. He feels closer to God. Festive joy—that's the second lashon, or of a simcha. Simcha is happiness. That's the emotion of gratitude. And gratitude creates a tremendous bond to God. And sason, which means gladness, refers to circumcision, which was on the body. So here you got all three parts of the human being. You have his intellect, his emotions, and his body in a relationship with God. So he explains that's exactly what Purim is about. Purim is about a complete attachment to God, a commitment to God, which means the removal of all cynicism, the removal of all skepticism. It means a total connection, a happiness, a car, a total recognizing the good, recognizing everything that God's done for us, and connecting completely, totally to God through drinking and through eating. This is an unbelievable holiday. And that's why it's even greater than Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is only like Purim. This is a total connection through eating and through drinking, not fasting. And what Destler wants to explain, that's what B'Shah, that's what the simple understanding of what the mitzvah, we know there's a mitzvah on Purim to drink, where you can't distinguish between cursed be Haman and blessed be Mordechai. Blessing, he explains, means expansion, means being rich, And curse means being poor, not having. So he says it has nothing to do with the physical. It's not a question of being rich. It's not a question of being poor. We're going to go beyond that. Poor means going beyond that, connecting with God in a deeper way, a total connection to God, where you can't see the difference between being rich or poor. What's the difference if you're rich or poor when it comes to God? Connect to God. He says we have to break the restraints of this physical world. And that's what it would mean to win the war against Amalek. No skepticism. No cynicism. Total connection to God. Give everyone a blessing to have a wonderful pouring. It should be the greatest pouring you've ever had. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. I want to tell you over the second commandment of marriage of Victor Miller. He has the Ten Commandments of Marriage. And here's the second one. The second one is do not disrupt the routine of marriage. In other words, keep to your routine. If you don't keep to your routine, it means you're starting a war. And a war, there's casualties. You have to keep to your routine. You want to stay married, you have to keep to the routine. What's that, for example? He says that the wife should continue to prepare meals. Whoever's preparing the meals, the husband or the wife. But you have to be preparing meals. You have to continue to prepare those meals. It doesn't matter if you're fighting. The family needs food. You still have to prepare meals. He says like this, an unbelievable thing. He's just like a Kohen stands at the Mizbeak and offers a Korban Tommy to the morning and evening, no matter what. Even if he's angry at the Kohen Gadol. In the temple, the Kohenim, they had to serve. So they had to bring the Korbanos, the sacrifices in the morning. It didn't matter if they were angry at their boss or not angry at their boys, the Kohen Gadol. They still had to do it. You have to continue to bring food into the house that things continue as normal. And not only that, the husband should also always come to the meal, or the wife. They also have to come to the meal. You have to sit down in your regular place and eat supper. Ah, you're having a fight, so don't talk to each other. You don't have to talk to each other, but you have to continue in your routine. And God forbid that a wife should not go to the mikvah. Don't say, I'm not going to go to the mikvah. Mikvah means that you can't be together with your husband. You don't say you're not going to go to the mikvah. That you're, you're asking for trouble. It's going to start a war. You're breaking the routine of marriage. Or the husband should never refuse to give his wife money. That's not normal. You didn't say this week you're not getting money. Everything has to continue according to the Uh, This is assuming that you want to stay married. If you don't want to stay married, you can do all these things and you can end your marriage quite quickly. But if you want to stay married, you're just having a fight. So you have to keep to the routine. And a man should never leave home. Don't sleep out. Say, I'm leaving. I'm going to my friend. He says, even if you went to the airport already, you should still come back. Many men were at the airport and they changed their mind. Once you take an airplane, who knows what's going to happen. That's what he says. So don't keep normal. You have to come back. You have to sleep in your bed every night. Even if you're having a fight, it's not a war. It's just a fight. And the opposite, a man should not drive his wife out of that house and say, go back to your mother's house. You know how many marriages ended because of that? Because what happens is the wife goes back to the parents' house and the parents start to take the side of the wife. And in the end, it ends up with a divorce. They don't want a divorce. We're trying to prevent divorces. So the second commandment of marriage is do not disrupt the routine of marriage. If you want peace in your home, don't disrupt the routine. Do everything normal. You can have fights. Don't make the fight into a war. In a war, people get killed. That's it for this week's podcast. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Everyone should have a fray like a Kapooram. Please leave comments at the podcast. And please tell your friends about the podcast so they can also enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.